Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Wednesday morning, the 29th of November. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. There has been rain around overnight, storms through the Maranoa, some down in the Western Darling Downs, um, and look, really happy that people are starting to get some showers. It's not everywhere. Um, like I know in the Central, there hasn't been rain. Uh, I understand, you know, there is storms around, and look, there's chances of rain later in the week, but there is and has been some really um, some really great falls throughout the course of the day. Um, so much to get through this morning. We're going to talk with Georgie Somerset very shortly as the Royal Flying Doctor's new chairperson. She was elected as the chair. I'm going to catch up with Colin Boyce. This great artesian basin destruction that is going on uh, around Glencore trying to pump carbon dioxide into the aquifer is nothing short of harrowing. He joins us. We're going to catch up with Carl Warren, a 50-cent drop. A 50-cent drop? No, a 50-cent price hike in Roma, pardon me, unbelievable what the Roma sale did yesterday. Rabbits will join us a bit later. We'll talk with Mike Gearin about the Murray-Darling Basin and also uh, the Great Artesian Basin. And Olivia Agar will join us with some market analysis. Big show, rural Queensland today. It's Wednesday morning, the 29th of November. You're with Ben Dobbin across rural Queensland today. Welcome back to rural Queensland today. We're going to start the show um, with... A really great story, a phenomenal story, in fact. Um, we normally talk with Georgie Somerset AM um, as the president of Ag Force. Well, I'm going to park that to the side today because I am now talking to the newly appointed chair of the Royal Flying Doctors Service, Georgie Somerset. Uh, she has been elected as the chair. She's been a board member, and she now is the chair. Um, and I think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal appointment. There's no two ways, um, and I've discussed it many times, the Royal Flying Doctors saved my life. Uh, In 2006, without them, I would not be here today. Georgie Somerset is the new chair of the Royal Flying Doctors Service, and she joins me this morning on Rural Queensland today. Good morning. Congratulations. I mean, I don't know when you find time to sleep, seriously. Um, (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you, Ben. And I think I need to hear your story from 2006 by the sound of it as well. Yeah. Oh, look, I just had a brain bleed, and, and it's simple as that. Mm. I, had, I had a bad brain bleed. I was playing football um, for the Condamine, and without mm. them landing these amazing heroic pilots that before Miles' uh, airstrip was fenced off and, and Vernon threat free, they these, ma- these people uh, absolutely um, cleared the runway, flew me down to Toowoomba in the middle of the night, um, mm. And made it save my life. It literally saved my life. Um, it, it was. Uh, uh, and look, yeah. Ben, this this is this is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? I, I, everyone I think has someone that they know. If, for those of us that live in the bush, um, you know, and I'm one of those people as well. Mine was mine was much less traumatic in, from than yours, but it was a transfer from Kingaroy Hospital to, to Brisbane. Yeah. But it saved me a really painful five hour, probably five or six hour ambulance ride, and got me there a lot quicker. Got me into the Wesley, and you know. It was a reasonably traumatic leg injury, but we've all got somebody that we know that has had some impact. And then, and then there is that side of it, but there's also the primary health care and the mental health and the having a yarn to someone at a field day. Like, just 
so much that goes on, and now the dental van. I look, it is an it's a iconic organisation. But what I love about the RFDS is it's so innovative as well, and and RFDS Queensland just continues to think about how can we deliver health services, how can we actually uh, change change things so that people in rural communities have got access to primary health care, have got access to dental, have got access to mental health support. And I just toured the new Longreach offices the other day. They've only just been, we've just moved into them. They're next to the branch there. And, and that's just really exciting to see that our um, clinicians out there have got a, a beautiful space to be working out of um, right in the middle of town as well. So it's just I'm constantly in awe of the staff, so this is a huge privilege to be actually leading this organisation. I mean, we're we're coming close to 100 years. Um, It approaches 100 years of service, and, you know, I've got to be honest with you, this is... It is one of the most, if not the most, vital service. Um, And, look, we have Care Flight and Life Flight, who both do phenomenal things as well. But the RFDS um, is just... It's iconic. I mean... Are you concerned? Yeah, think- are you concerned though, because of and this is the hard part. I mean, y- mm. you've got to provide a service which you do, but we've got a health system that's is failing us. So that would entail that there is more work in the regions. Um, there is a lot more, which would mean that it, it's harder. Um, the, the conditions are tougher. It, it, it's a trickle effect as such that you'd be very aware of. Yeah, look, we do, and we have a really strong partnership with Queensland Health because we are there to support those clinicians in the bush as well. Um, we are there when they have um, a patient that needs support and needs, um, you know, needs help, and we know that we're, we're part of the Retrieval Services Queensland. So yes, we're part of a really complex matrix of people who um, help get the right people um, to the right place to get the care, and I think that's. Supporting our clinicians in the bush is, is really important and that's that's an ongoing partnership. Um, I do think that there is an increasing demand for health services as well. You know, we have we have people wanting to live regionally and we need to be able to provide health services out there. And you know, I'm just looking at some figures. Like we did more than twenty six and a half thousand consultations with an RFDS GP or nurse at a clinic. Like we are actually part of that health matrix. So it's I get that there's a lot of things with Queensland Health that are under pressure at the moment, and we're all under, um, you know, the, the cost of delivering services regionally um, continues to grow. But we are part of that matrix that's trying to deliver primary health care, and we are often the only primary health care that people will actually get to access, particularly when I think about uh, the Cape, the Gulf, and the Southwest. And that's that's a critical service, um, and and we really appreciate the support. So that's you know we get we get support from the federal government to provide those traditional services in that primary health clinic. We also get support from the state government to partner with them and and make sure that people like yourself actually are able to get to the right care as well. Well, not everybody, and, not everybody, and like there's life threatening injuries, isn't there? Like and and there is and things, and I mean this is long before um, you know like and, and I've seen look I've seen the care flight and life flights stop in the middle of roads and, and airlift people out. I've also been um, in an ambulance that's taken me straight to the airstrip and the flying doctor was coming back. Mm. By luck, luck had it. It was coming back from out west and they had a patient who had a broken leg and they put me on that same flight back. That's um, right. And, and, and so that, that's, and that's the, that, and that's the, and, that's and the that, complexity. Yeah, mm. that, and that's what that, – and, and I – look, I can't remember it. Um, I've seen photos of it. 
but I, I am forever thankful for what happened um, in that 24 hours when I was living there. And if it wasn't for the Royal Flying Doctor Service, I mean, we talk about the service you provide, but the heroes are the men and women who commit themselves and work on the ground oh. every single day. And, and I mean, that, they're under Absolutely. your watch as well, Georgie. That, I mean, the pilots, the nurses, the doctors, they are just heroes like you cannot explain. Absolutely. And I was out at Charleville the other day for the celebration for the, the 80th birthday of that base. And and that's what inspires me is the, um, the men and women who are working and living regionally and doing this work day in, day out. They are the ones on call. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to have Christmas, but there'll be a team on call at the RFDS. Um, there'll be a call, there'll be a team on the, the call centre waiting, waiting to take calls because we all know accidents still happen um, over holidays. And these are the people that are just there constantly and we can rely on them. We, we want to pick up the phone and know that someone is going to take our call. And that's what the, the RFDS is there to do that. Um, it, it, but it is also there. And I think this is the other reassuring thing is, um, you know, the, the, um, Wellbeing at West program, which is actually funded by Ride West, the amazing cyclists who cycle from Brisbane to um, Longridge, you know, they fund Wellbeing Out West. So they're just people who turn up at field days and are there to, to chat to you. Yeah. And I think this is the, the breadth of the organisation now that it is doing far more, I think, than people realise. It, it's really leading the way. Some of the innovation that the staff are leading. This is not about myself as the chair and the board. It's actually about the team that we lead and we work to keep safe every day. It's it's an incredible team. Yeah, it certainly is, and it, and it's one that you know we all and we all are very very comfortable in the fact that we know it's like this security blanket. What do people need to do? I mean, donations are a big part of it. Yes, it, 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 there is funding, but sitting on the chair, there has got to be and an, an contribution, hasn't there, from from us from within? Yeah, well, we, we absolutely do need philanthropy. Um, you know, we. It's a significant part of our funding to deliver what we do and to actually do new things. The dental truck was actually fully funded by philanthropy until we could prove up that it was a great idea and it's now federally funded. So we often prove things up through philanthropy as well. But people often support something that is going to be meaningful for them. We have people who support um, nursing scholarships or lighting the lanterns, so actually buying the lanterns that that will light up the strips so that we've got an effective – and Nick Tully, the – senior-based pilot at Charleville came up with this innovation where you know, you can actually fund a set of light, lights for a station strip. So there are things that people can, they can just give or they can actually give with purpose. And I think that's the other thing too, that you can sort of say, look, I really want to support something at Mount Isa. We're, we're building a new base at Mount Isa. It will need more support to actually finalise that base. Um, there's a, you know, a lot that philanthropists and donors can give and I always say you can give time, you can give treasure, you can give your talent. So if you've got time to donate as well, that's that's just as important with the RFDS. If you can turn up and help with things, um, that can help as well. Uh, congratulations on your appointment as chair. Um, yeah, for those who aren't aware, president of Ag Force Queensland, board member of the ABC and National Farmers Federation and the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal, I mean... Seriously, uh, you're starting to get to uh, a position. I don't know. You, you might need to relocate, mate, because all, you <laughs> need to get a plane. Um, but look, I think it's phenomenal. I, I, I really, I mean this genuinely, Georgie. The fact that you are the chair of the Royal Flying Doctor Service speaks volumes. I think it's fantastic, and and I want to congratulate you. And I know all of Regional Queensland are immensely proud of your achievements, and I think it it, it speaks volumes of where we're heading 
And, and also, and I say this, it's never been about gender, but I, I think a lot of young girls can aspire to achieve success in agriculture by what you are doing and, 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 and what you are paving, and, and I mean that genuinely. Um, I think that's a... It's not why you got into these positions. I understand that, and and I just, but I do think that you are a, a real pillar for a lot of young ladies who know that they can live rural and they can still have a corporate life, which I, I think is so important. Thanks, Ben. I've got no intention of relocating. I love nothing more than getting back to that my patch at Jurong. Um, it keeps me grounded, um, and I hope that you know young people can really see that they've got that a, a fantastic career. You know, in ag or working for someone like the RFDS, um, but living and working regionally and having a real impact. Yeah, well done. Uh, have a great day. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Ben. Good on you, Georgie Somerset. We'll take a break. Come back with more. <coughs> Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's my great pleasure this morning to uh, bring to the show the member for Flynn, Colin Boyce MP, joins me this morning from Canberra. Colin, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just am absolutely blown away by what has gone on. I, I received a a message from a listener, um, Wayne and Diane Bryant, and I, I want to thank them um, because they are really concerned and likewise a lot of us are concerned about what is going on with the Queensland government absolutely putting the agricultural industry and regional Queensland at risk. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, good morning, uh, Ben, and uh, good morning to the listeners in uh, Queensland in general. And uh, you're absolutely right, and this all uh, revolves around uh, the proposal by Glencore to uh, literally take a dump in Queensland's rainwater tank. So for people who aren't aware of this... There is a trial that has been approved at this moment by Glencore that to pull the waste from their coal mine at Milmerin and pump, if I'm right in saying, liquefied carbon dioxide into the water aquifer of the Great Artesian Basin. Now, I don't know how ever this could happen. The, the, the carbon and capture story pro, project of... of, of the Great Artesian Basin that has been approved by the Labor government and this subsidiary company of Glencore, um, the Carbon Transport and, Sh- and Storage Corporation, wanting to inject liquefied carbon dioxide into our aquifer of the Great Artesian Basin. This is the biggest threat. I, I talk about veg. I'm going to get to you about renewables. But this is horrific that they would allow this. H- how has this even gone i know it's starting to gain momentum but how has this even got to the table where they would approve it it's a trial it's never been done anywhere in the world yeah look uh ben just to um put the listeners uh, fully in the picture so the proposal at this moment is to start a trial which is three hundred and thirty thousand tons of what they call uh hypercritical co2 fluid so it's pretty much industrial waste, which they're getting from Milmere and Power Station, and they'll truck it out to their trial site at Mooney. And the proposal there is to pump it into the precipice sandstone water aquifer of the Great Artesian Basin, which is the deepest and the best water aquifer. Um, at this point in time, they have submitted a revised EIS statement to the Queensland Environment Office, and they are 
assessing that as we speak. And um, so at the moment, it needs the environmental regulation uh, or the environmental authority, I should say, change to allow them to proceed. So we've been fighting this tooth and nail, uh, me along with a whole lot of other people, um, uh, agricultural uh, uh, bodies and so forth, and it's absolutely outrageous, this proposal, because what they're doing is, as they've stated in their technical water report, they will compromise the receiving groundwater so much so that it will pretty much render the water source useless to anybody else. If this trial goes ahead, they then propose to start industrial-scale injection of liquefied carbon dioxide into the Great Artesian Basin, some 730 million tonnes. I can't even believe it. I can't believe it. So, Colin, does anybody have any concern whatsoever for the $13 billion of national economy every year that comes from the, the, the Great Artesian Basin, the 180,000 people, the 7,600 businesses, the 120 towns, and yet this subsidiary is actually even contemplating this? Like, in any other world, they just go, mate, go away. Get, get, go away. We're not even looking at this. We're not going to trial this. We're not going to put it at risk. W- why would we put a, even remotely try and entertain it at all? Well, uh, that's absolutely right. And what you have to understand about this, uh, Ben, and to the listeners, is that the Great Artesian Basin is the world's largest underground potable water source. There is no other like it anywhere else on the planet. It is similar to the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, it covers 177,000 square kilometres of, of Australia across four states. Uh, it's under 71% of the area of Queensland. It is the principal water source for many rural towns and many agricultural businesses. And to even contemplate doing this is, as I've said, it's just madness. And what worries me more so with the government's uh, carbon uh, reduction road that they've taken us on in respect to the safeguard mechanism where 215 of Australia's biggest companies will have to decarbonise by 2030. If this is approved, it's highly likely then that all of these companies will take up similar technology and people will be drilling holes in the Great Artesian Basin everywhere and pumping this industrial waste into the water. And it's just crazy to even contemplate it. So we've... uh, got a uh, relatively large group of um, agricultural people, the agricultural uh, bodies, Ag Force and QFF and so forth, and uh, we are vehemently against this happening, and uh, it's in process at the moment, but uh, everybody needs to understand what is uh, at stake here. I oh, More than at stake, um, and I can't believe a company that we've seen what they did um, with their announcement that they're shutting down part of their mine in Mount Isa, how these people and how Glencore is even deemed uh, a, a company that is should be operating in Queensland with what they're doing. Colin, uh, thank you for bringing this to our attention and I appreciate how busy you are. And We're going to continue with this and we're going to try and get some answers out of ministers from the Labor government, the state government and why they'd even attain it. But the, the renewables issue, mate, I, I've been going on about this for beyond... Like, and it's happening in your neck of the woods, it's happening up at Rockhampton, they're just clearing mountains, bulldozing mountains for wind farms. If it's a solar farm, you can get it, you can do whatever you want, but God forbid you're a farmer and you want to grow some beef and you, you, you knock a sucker over without permission, you're in all sorts of dire straits. The, the, the hypocrisy 
the hypocrisy that is coming forth, this um, drug that we're all in love with, with the Labor government, that we've got to be net zero and, and you know, by 2030 and all these absolute stupid, stupid decisions. We're seeing more and more battery fires starting. It is just absolutely... We're at a critical time, and I don't want to be dramatic about it. I've never seen a bigger mess in our lives because of the feel-good, do-good people out of the metropolitan Canberra region who want to make themselves feel better, but it is not the voice of the public. Well, that's absolutely right too, uh, Ben, and the whole renewable thing. Central Queensland is playing host to um, uh, dozens of these proposals and the footprint that they will have. Uh, the economic ramifications, the social ramifications are only now being understood by many of the small communities affected. Uh, just for an example, there's a uh, proposal to build 160 wind, wind turbines at Camburn near Theodore. Now, that one project alone has got a footprint of 45,000 hectares. Stop. That's 110,000 acres in the old scale. And these wind turbines, they're not just little windmill-looking things. These things are 280 metres high. That's from the ground to the tip of the top blade when it's pointing directly up. They're as big as the biggest skyscrapers in Brisbane. And uh, they are no-fly zones built across the hills everywhere. So if you're thinking of um, mustering your cattle with a helicopter, you can forget about that. You're going to have to go and find ringers again. And ringers are a pretty scarce commodity these days. How are we going to produce enough beef for it? Well, look, it, it is clear... We're, you know, they're not going to be able to produce enough beef for our for the population. We are going to, and I mean that genuinely. Like, we, we, you know, we're becoming like other countries, where, you know, what it's like. I can't believe this. Well, I can't believe that that they are allowing this to happen. I mean, and 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 Camburn and through there, cat, it's cattle country. That is cattle country. And what about the neighbours? How are they all handling it? I mean. These are foreign-owned companies coming into our country who are buying up, Take people are taking the money, right? They don't care about what it's doing for everybody else and communities. It's just absolutely destruction at its best. Well, that's right. And uh, Mr Bowen, the uh, energy minister down here, has uh, uh, put a proposal out there that he's going to increase fivefold the uh, taxpayer funding to all of this renewable energy to achieve their 82% renewable energy target by 2030. This money will go to foreign-owned companies who are buying uh, foreign-made uh, components to build uh, wind turbines and solar panels and Stop so it. forth. Yeah. Uh, they will leave us with the mess. The legislation that surrounds this, well, there isn't any. There's a set of guidelines and some regulations, but there's no legislation that oversees any of this, so it's not worth the paper it's written on. It's deliberately designed this way by the government, particularly the Queensland government, to expedite all these programs that are going to affect all of these small communities in central Queensland, all the way from Lotus Creek all the way down to uh, uh, Wandown. And uh, there are literally dozens and dozens of them at various stages of planning. Yeah, well, I can tell you now, um, they get an, we get an opportunity next year to get rid of this absolute circus of a state government and the following year we get the opportunity to get rid of the, the federal government and I think Queenslanders and I think Australians off the back of um, the referendum, off the back of what is going on with housing, health, 
funding, cost blowouts, you name it, renewables, it just continues to go on. Gravel pits, everywhere we go, there's dramas. Like, they are got to go. And, Colin, you're doing a phenomenal job. I appreciate you giving me some time this morning. Mate, if we don't talk to you before Christmas, have a great Christmas. We'll talk to you in the new year. But, like, seriously, we have to have people like yourself fighting for us because without a voice in Canberra, we are doomed. It is as simple as that. And I don't want to be dramatic about it, but I really appreciate you, what you're doing for us in this great state of Queensland. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, good on you, Bon, uh, Ben, and uh, good morning to the listeners uh, in, uh, in Queensland. Thank you, mate. Colin Boyce, member for Flynn. We'll take a break, come back with more Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Uh, just on 3,000 head yesterday at the weekly Roma store and prime sale. Rain depleted, uh, but the market responding just unbelievably at the moment off the back of uh, weather and getting towards Christmas. Carl Warren joins us from Top X Roma. Carlos, good morning. Thank you for being with us. Um, Roma store sale alive and well yesterday. Yeah, certainly was, Dobbo. Uh, what a pleasure to be back with... Uh some good news and some rain about and a market that's solidly lifting. So let's go through it. We need to look and take a deep dive into it because, you know, people are now, you know, as we march towards the end of the year, trying to get some gauge on where it is. Only 3,000 head there yesterday, um, but it responded so well. And that's the thing that people don't don't realise. It was a very, very strong market. Let's talk through the feeder job. How was it to start off with? Yeah, Ben, uh, a few feeders that were there, uh, very solid demand, and you needed every bit of $3.20 yep. to even three forty on the lighter end to buy a feeder. Now, that three twenty, we are talking 450 to 480 kilo feeder. Wow. So, huge leap, huge jumps in the last two weeks on that market. Yeah, and that and that and that's rolling along well. Everybody wants to, to, to see where where it all went with, you know, with with the store job and where this little lightweight yearling steer and, and, and look, we've seen prices get under two bucks in the last couple of weeks. Now they said that they quoted the market a fifty percent jump. But mate, the reports coming out yesterday we were seeing steers Mate, fours, four twenties—is that right? There was there was an appetite for that. That's correct. That is correct. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of them there. Uh, all our cattle have got a little bit of weight. The good quality ones, yeah, certainly. I think we even saw. Uh, I think we even might have seen a pen touch four fifty. Like um, how yeah. quickly we how quickly we got to four dollars, and. You dead set needed four dollars to four twenty at least to be buying any of those good little good little backgrounder steers. Yeah, like a two seventy kilo steer is still it's close on thirteen hundred dollars, and I mean, you know that, that that that's a great result considering where we were uh, um, only a couple of weeks ago. Um, all the average the yearling steers under two eighty you know, average four bucks topped at four fifty eight yearling steers three thirty. Um, you know, under three thirty, they topped at four twelve to average three ninety three. Yearling steers under four hundred uh, made to four thirty, so it was very very strong in the steer portion, um, which you know I'm happy about. We needed it. We really did need it. the The area that has really jumped, and I'm so happy about this, is the females. They copped an absolute flogging. 
Uh, there's no other way of looking at it, even trying to sugarcoat it. And lightweight yielding heifers under 200, that, going back to the paddock, out, out to 330s um, and averaged over three bucks yesterday. Yeah, mate, it was a uh, big movement from the heifer job. And that's and almost a dollar fifty a kilo yeah. jump. Like I'm being serious yeah. here. That, that that's how much they've gone up. Like that that's a livelihood. It's nearly two for one on a month ago. Yes, totally. And you know that's that's probably the scary parts about our industry at the moment. The vol- volatility in it. You know, it's um, it, it was a rainy day. It was raining. We'd had rain that night. Like uh, everyone's mood was pretty good yesterday. But uh, yeah, the heifer job. You know. If you didn't have three twenty in your pocket, you didn't touch anything. Yeah. You in in the female market, like, and that's huge considering we we're buying them for a dollar fifty. Unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. Four months ago, yeah. Manufacturing bullocks topped the two twenty seven. Growing steers, um, you know, to kill three oh two, three ten. The best of the bullocks. Cows jumping. Um, they made from one fifty to two ten. They're obviously getting a lot of cattle through, but they would be looking for them. And bulls made to two fifty two. So a very strong sale. Um, how many more this year, Carl? Yeah, Ben, we've got two left now. Yeah. Uh, two left before we run into a, a, a four-week period. No sales. For Christmas year. Yeah, Christmas year. So let's hope, uh, look, a bit of rain again last night and the storms early this morning again. And let's hope we have another, you know, we have a bit of dry weather next week that we can move a few stock if needed. But Looks like this hanging around for another week, so let's fill in a few gaps. So, talk to me about exactly how can we talk about that now? What's the weather update for the Maranoa? Just give us a bit of a snapshot around the district. Yeah, Ben, there's been a. Unfortunately, there's still those few isolated spots that are, have not seen any rain, and we've had a few clients that you know saw fifteen or eighteen mils out of this this change in the last lot, and they're still under their six inches for the year, but. It's finally filling in. Like uh, yesterday, some of those people actually received their 50 mils in a storm, 50 and 70 mils reports, you know, so it is starting what, to what fill What neck of the woods pockets. was that? Is that the in-June area? Whereabouts was that? Whereabouts yeah, that you're, sort of, you're sort of hovering around that Yumamaran district and, yep. and floating across the woods to Room. Yep. It's, uh, you know, traditionally very safe areas and, and they've been the ones who've been left sitting back and, and watching and seeing everyone else get these very impressive falls but it is now finally filling in starting to fill in unfortunately there's still one or two that just aren't caught up but look it's still hanging around and big storm come through this morning at three o'clock and probably dumped another inch so um it's not gone and all the signs are there so yeah it's um we're pretty good we've seen 50 mils to 150 200 mils around the district south aroma looking good very good, very good. Uh, deep south, yep. same deal. That little dry pocket of Roma that's been that 50 k's either side, well, it's been that area that's sort of been on the slower return for this this break. But, uh, yeah, no, it's all uh, go deep south. Obviously, we've seen the reports of those big falls and big rains. And, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a lovely change to see and how quickly it can turn around. Appreciate your time, mate. Thank you for everything this year. Thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Dobber. Anytime. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin on the Resonate Broadcast Network. 
Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Olivia Agar joining us this morning. We've spoken to her before, the Market Insights Lead at Mercado, a nutrient ag solution business. Olivia, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Morning, Ben. Yeah, great to be back again. Um, when we were talking, it was doom and gloom last time we were talking to you about it. And obviously, there were some um, effects from weather, but a almost... 45 plus percent jump in the prices from October in the last month of November across the country. Gee whiz, that's showing how quickly we bounce back. Uh, weather and a bit of confidence and a bit a bit more brighter future and things are starting to look a little better. I know, yeah. They say, you know, a few weeks can be a long time in markets and we've certainly seen a pretty big turnaround in the last few weeks and some real signs of life come back into the cattle market now and it's you know, that 43% lift from the October lows to, to the end of November, you know, it does really clearly show the impact of that lack of confidence in the season that had on the market. So, uh, you know, big turnaround. And I think what's really interesting about the movement we've seen so far is that rain really doesn't change the fundamentals much overnight. You know, grass doesn't grow that much overnight. There's still plenty of you know, stock that are going to be on the market. So that confidence piece in the season really has a big role in the market, probably more so than we expected. So, I mean, when you look at that and you're trying to gauge, and I'm, I'm phenomenal when it, it's a phenomenal thing when you're trying to look at how you assess the market, you just can't factor weather in. It's such an anomaly, but it, it, it's such a dictating um, factor in, in price. If... If we'd had a normal season in Queensland and on the eastern seaboard as such, and you know the three states were impacted heavily by dry times through sort of June, July, August, September, October, if that had been just a, a, an average or above average, do you believe that we would have seen the the market, you know, probably drop as 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 severely as it did? Not, not as much as it did. We certainly would have seen still a contraction sure. in the market. Sure, it had um, to come back. It had to come back a fraction. Like there was, it can't continue to go on the highs. But it, it's quite unbelievable. Just and I know I'm talking to the ob, the obvious. Just how how influential something that we've got no control of really is. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, we saw that you know, we'd already started to see destocking in areas happen over those months due to the you know, the poorer conditions on the ground as well as the bad outlook. So, you know, that was definitely playing a part. People were acting early and making decisions to reduce numbers. So, yeah, it has had a huge impact. Let's talk about the lot feeding game. It's been the cornerstone and the backbone of the industry um, for, for the last little time and, and it really is an important part of where we're at. They benefited from the falling market, but they're paying a lot more for their cattle now. And the highest number of cattle um, recorded on feed um, in quarter three, um, you know, and, you know, in Queensland, it, it, it was huge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a bit of a change for lot feeders, as you said, they were really benefiting from the falling market, but they have had increasing costs too, you know, higher feed prices, sure. and now they're paying a bit more for the feeders due to a bit of tightening up in supply we've already started to see in sale yards but you know there is a lot of positivity in the lot feeding sector we've seen a, a big increase in capacity um, as well as utilization so um, you know nationally it was the, the second highest number of 
cattle on feed recorded and as you said they're the highest in Queensland so you know plenty of positivity out there especially seeing as we're exporting records amount of grain-fed beef at this time as well so they're just continuing to invest in the sector. Yeah yeah and it's it's a really um it's there it, the industry is always there it also happened that you know that 100 day window where all the abattoirs are shut happened to fall when the prices were at their all-time low. So that took the base out of the market for around about a month as well, that three-week window where nobody can kill any cattle because of the abattoirs. So it was almost the perfect storm. Um, They are obviously going to continue, but what about space now for slaughter space? That was the biggest thing. They couldn't get the workers. We know Dimmore's going to go to another shift in um, in the new year um, at JBS. Um, there are starting to see some gaps, but we, we will have some closures in the next month. H- how, how will that affect, how will supply be coming into the new year and is that going to play a role in the recovery? Yeah, if we look at what's come through the system so far, so looking at the, the September Q3 data, there was 1.9 million cattle slaughtered. And if we look at that same time last year, it's 23% higher than that period last year and an 11% lift on the June quarter. So that's really good news in that it does show that processes have been ramping up supply. You know, it's saying that any new capacity is, is good news. Um, you know, so those extra shifts that are, are supposed to come online in the new year will, will be a good sign. Um, Especially now that we've seen a bit of rain, we might not see those big numbers like we might have expected if those dry conditions continued into the, the new year as well. So there should be you know, a, a better balance looking into the new year than we were probably expecting a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and, and that's so important. Um, what's the impact? What's the big outlook? I mean, no supply and, and people holding off and trying to put some weight on shortens up the numbers. And then from there we see... Um, you know, the price jump. But, I mean, how high is it, honestly? And, and this is the crystal ball. How high does it get back? We're not going to see the $9 wiener job, but is it unrealistic to, to think that we might see a $5, $6 wiener again? Uh, I don't think so. It, it will depend on what we continue to see in terms of seasonal conditions, of course. Um, you know, because we are still seeing cattle slaughter up, it means it's not going to be a supply-led price recovery um it's probably more likely now that we're going to reach a bit more of a steady state herd for the for the next year but we do know that international price suggests there's plenty of upside if we do reach that steady herd state so that's a real positive um we'll be looking for upside on on the demand side and really that strong international demand to pull our market up yeah, and this is the thing. Um, a lot of females left the system uh, over the last couple of months, and that takes some recovery as well. Um, so you would hope um, that you know we see some some sort of sensible action in 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 the way this market goes. It obviously, we'll get you know dearer um, if the rain continues to come. It plays a huge role. Uh, Olivia Agar, Market Insight Lead um, from Mercado and Nutrient Ag Solution Business. Thank you so much. Outstanding as usual. And people can go to Mercado, M-E-C-A-R-D-O.com.au or Nutrient to find these kind of uh, reports um, for the third quarter. They are there and it's worth taking a look at because it gives you some insight. This is the analysis that you guys do. This is your bread and butter. And obviously, it's a very important thing. 
It's only a gauge. It's a reporting service on what has happened over the, the period of the last quarter and something that you can use as a tool, obviously, in your business as well. Have a great Christmas and we appreciate it and we'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. You too. Good on you. Olivia Agar, Market Insight Lead, uh, Mercado, a Nutrient Ag Solution business. We'll take a break, come back with more Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Continuing on from that chat with Colin Boyce and just the real scary situation that we are in, um, Agforce CEO uh, Mike Gearan joins us this morning on Rural Queensland today. Mike, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, good morning, Bobo. Okay, um, this Glencore proposal um, with a subsidiary company to try and inject carbon uh, carbon dioxide into the aquifer of the Great Artesian Basin. Um, I know Agforce have been a part of it. NFF have released statements. Holy hell, it's a scary situation. I know they're looking at the environmental impact study. Colin Boyce just talked about the the severity of it, how it even how it even gets to this situation. I know you've been at these meetings. You've been at the table while this is going on. Can you just give the listeners some insight into into how this even came around? And how, how much and how serious is this? If it's going to be the trial that they say, the 180,000, 7,000 businesses, 120 towns, how they could allow this to be put at risk? It's, it's staggering, Dobber, but can I give firstly the readers confidence that AgForce is part of a broad coalition where all of industry and the community are standing steadfast against this. Uh, we're challenging at the government approvals process where it's at now, where the EIS is under consideration by the Environment Department of the State of Queensland. It then has to go to the Water Minister, given the impact on water. We will stand against it all of the way. So at the moment, we are working very actively with the areas of government responsible. Um, we are preparing legal challenges, and um, Glencore need to be clear about this. We will take this to the High Court. At its core, Dobbo, they want to pump industrial waste into the Great Artesian Basin, a beautiful resource of water used by community, used by people, used by industry, used by the environment. Um, it is one of the natural wonders of the world. And I can't personally get my head around this idea that we are working very hard to protect the reef, to protect the environment, to recognise the needs of the community. And at the same time, the government is even considering pumping industrial waste underground into the pure Great Artesian Basin. It figures belief, Dobbo. Um, I'm no hydrogeologist, but what they tell us is pretty scary. But set that aside, at a very basic level, they are take or they are proposing to take industrial waste and pump it into pristine water storage. Well, I can't get over it. I cannot get over it. I, I, Mike, I am shocked. I am blown away by it. Blown away. And and, and the fact that they even would entertain it is the concerning thing for me. Yes, yes, and us. And and you and I talk about a number of challenges we have as industry and and, and having a a confidence in our future and the right policy settings. We talk about it in a number of areas where you can debate both sides of it. Dobbo, what's hit me about this, and I've been a number of years now trying to represent producers in Queensland as best I can, what's hit me about this is it makes absolutely no sense from any angle. They are proposing to pump industrial waste into a pristine water resource used by human beings in the environment. That's what they're doing at its core. There are hundreds of pages describing that in great detail 
I have no doubt Colin Boyce gave you some of that. But at its core, they want to pump industrial waste into a pure water source. That's at its core, Dobbo. You're right. Why it's even been considered, we don't understand. But as I said, we have a broad coalition of industry, many bodies, Agforce amongst them, others in there, um, prominent people, communities, working incredibly hard behind the scenes. The fact that there's a new media release coming out every week from a different organisation is no coincidence. The fact that other organisations are backing it, the fact that the Premier is getting all those letters, it is no coincidence. You have a broad community coalition of anybody who understands this saying this cannot be allowed to happen. Uh, You're so right. You're so right. Okay, that's one area. The Murray-Darling Basin as well and what we're going through there and this grab, you want to talk about threatening towns in in Queensland and the Great Artesian Basin. Well, now we're talking about threatening the nation. You came out with the release. Um, Tanya Plibersek, and you've been to meet with these people. They said they listened. They clearly haven't. They just, you know, it was only, you know, lip service what they gave you because their actions prove very, very different, Mike. And you've really made a a big statement about this and it's a big thing when Ag Force come out and go at the government. But this is where it's got to. It it has, Dobber, and credit to you, Dobber. You were right when we sat on this radio program a number of months ago and I said we're working in good faith behind closed doors and you um, expressed some scepticism, sadly, you were right, Dobbo, so I, I acknowledge that. But at its core on this issue is we have a, a, an agreement, a Murray-Darling Basin plan brought about through a multi-year deep engagement with the scientific community, um, with the broader community, with industry, with the politicians. It was bipartisan. It took good science. It took all considerations uh, in, and it built the great uh, the Murray-Darling Basin plan. So... For example, young people can stay in communities, can invest in agriculture with confidence because we have a plan that's very detailed, been worked up over many years, considers all elements, including the environment. And then what we now find now is in a political stunt, the rag's been pulled, the rug, should I say, has been pulled out from under multi-years worth of work and it's all been thrown to one side. Uh, they're proposing these buybacks. They've removed the safeguard mechanism for communities so how can communities have any confidence that we have settings we can rely on? How can we invest in our futures with confidence knowing policy settings are well considered when in a, in a, at a moment's notice without any consultation that we're aware of, they've completely thrown out all those years' worth of work in an agreement that was Dobbo at the time bipartisan, i.e. both major parties were part of the conversation, recognised how important it was to do it in deep detail to understand the implications for community and environment and to respect those in the transition piece. That was all in place. But now that's been thrown out at a moment's notice. And as you say, after we and many others were in with the Minister talking about the need for further reform, keen to be a part of it, saying if it's needed, let's sit down and work through it together. Let's understand the elements of it and let's go through that considered change process so that, that confidence remains in those communities. That's all been thrown out, Dobbo, by this, and that's what horrifies us about it. Yeah, it really is horrifying, um, and it's a concern. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how we get to a solution with it, Mike. Um, and we can talk all we like about it. Uh, is it is it only an election 
a government change that will see this change? Well, that's one you know thing. If this carries on for the next 18 months, we all as Australians have a chance to consider that and how we vote next time, absolutely. But the other request is an immediate one, and it's one we've been very strong on this week. The crossbenchers can stop this and put some sensible amendments in, for example, the safeguard mechanism back in for communities. That by itself would make an enormous difference. So right as we stand here, as we're talking on the radio this morning, Dobbo, those crossbenchers can stop this, get us back to the table, and think about those sensible things like that safeguard mechanism being put back into the Murray-Darley Basin Plan. So we're, we're pleading with, working with, ringing, talking to the crossbenchers as we speak in the hope that that can be put in place now. If not, and it runs through the parliament, then yes, we have the normal political process to work with from there. Unbelievable. Hey, Mike, great to chat. We really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Robert. We'll take a break, come back with more. Geez, we're in a mess. Of, we are in such a mess. Rural Queensland today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow morning from 9am. Bill McDonald joins you next. Have a great day, Queensland. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Stay safe on the roads. Until next time, enjoy your Wednesday. Two more days left of what we call spring. Summer is just around the corner. Unbelievable. Okay, until next time, see you later. Have a great day. Bye for now.